Welcome to LaGrave CRC's Sermon Podcast. In this sermon, Jesus pushes against our own self-deception. It is easy for us to be the own con artists in the cons that we fall for. You're listening to Going Deeper, Not Everyone Who Says to Me, Lord, Lord, by Rev. Peter Yonker. This is the last of our Growing Deeper sermon series. Today we turn again to the Gospel of Matthew and to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 28. And we're going to read the very end of Jesus' sermon, which is a fitting way for us to end this series. And as we read, I think you're going to hear that Jesus is, um, he ends forcefully. He's very pointed at the end of this sermon, remarkably pointed. And he's pointed because, um, as is typical of this sermon series, which is why we call it what we did, he wants us to go deeper and to look at a potential thing that can cause serious damage in the deep parts of our heart. Listen. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons? And in your name, perform any miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house in the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew against the house, Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and who does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This is the word of the Lord. So what's Jesus talking about? What is the heart ailment? the potential infection, the potential rot that can get to the center of our heart that Jesus is worried about in the passage that I just read at the end of this sermon. I think if I had to describe it in one phrase, I would say Jesus is worried about self-deception. Jesus is worried about the power of we human beings to deceive ourselves. And when I think of an example of modern-day self-deception, I can't help myself, I think of the TV show American Idol. Now, American Idol was transcendently popular, I don't know, 15 years ago. It was the kind of popular that you couldn't get away from, right? I mean, if, if you lived in this world and breathed, you'd hear about American Idol. And I know it's still on TV, but I don't think it's anywhere near that popular. But back in its, the day when, when everybody knew about it, part of what made its, it popular, part of the key to its popularity was self-deception. What do I mean by that? Well, okay, American Idol was the original singing competition. Thousands of young people, and some of them not so young, from all over the country would get together in the hopes of being the next American Idol and, and rich and famous and all those things. And they'd go to these auditions. And they'd have their audition piece, and they'd belt it out in front of those three judges. And those judges would either send them home or send them to Hollywood. 
It was kind of like Judgment Day, right? The sheep and the goats, okay? Now, what was uh, sort of um, what you notice when the, on that, uh, in the additions is that some of the additions, some of the people were really, really good, right? Some of them would just blow you away. The judges would be impressed. But a lot of the people were really, really bad. And what made them interesting was that almost all and virtually all of the people who were really, really bad were convinced that they were really, really good. Ryan Seacrest or whoever it was would interview him right before they went on and they say, I'm going to rock it. I'm going to Hollywood. I was born for this. I'm going to be a star. And they get in there and they would sing so terribly it would be painful. Do you remember the name William Hung? That is a classic of the genre, right? And as, as we people who watched it, if we watched it, part of what was fascinating about that is we would say, how in heaven's name could these people be so self-deceived? How could they be so, have so little self-awareness and not know that they were terrible at singing? How is it possible for self-deception to take such root in a human being? And that's not just an interesting question. In the case of many of these young people, it was a tragedy. Because a lot of these young people, they really had put all their eggs in this basket. They really thought they were going to Hollywood. They really wanted to be a star. And in three very public and disastrous minutes, that whole thing came crashing down. And when it crashes, like it says in Jesus' parable, how great is that fall? American Idol is a good illustration of self-deception. But of course, when Jesus talks about self-deception in this passage, he's not talking about self-deception in other people. He's warning about self-deception in us. He's saying to us, to me and to you, you know what, you guys? You can be exactly like those self-deceived singers. That's the difference between verses 21 to 23 of our passage, the beginning of our passage, and the stuff that Jesus says in his sermon right before this. In verses 15 to 20, which I didn't read, Jesus warns about false prophets and wolves in sheep clothing, and he warns, about, warns you about people out there. So false prophets who are telling you lies, but who know they are telling you lies, and who are purposely trying to deceive you. And Jesus says, watch out for those guys. But in this passage, Jesus is saying, watch out for yourself. You can be your own wolf in sheep's clothing. You can be your own false prophet. You can be the con artist and the victim of your own con. And more than that, Jesus warns us against a self-deception of a particularly serious kind. He's not warning us about um, thinking that we're good singers when we're really not. He's warning us about religious self-deception. Jesus is warning us that we could be totally deceived about our relationship with God. Many who come to me on that day, says Jesus, will say to me, Lord, Lord. And not all of them will enter the kingdom of heaven. These are people not who think that they, who know that they're telling lies, who know that they're deceived. These are people who think that they're in the inner circle. These are people who think they're of the tribe. These are people who think they're one of the sheep of the flock. But when they get to their audition, Jesus says to them, you don't know me at all. 
It's terrifying, right? It gets worse. Look at how Jesus describes these self-deceived people. These are not Christmas and Easter Christians, okay? These are not people who just, you know, show up in church once in a while. These are serious, committed people who you would think were some of the most pious people you know. Look at the things they do. They cast out demons in the name of Jesus. These are great prayer warriors against evil. They do miracles in his name. They do these great signs and wonders that draw a crowd. They prophesy in his name. They preach wonderful sermons that fill churches. They say, Lord, Lord, all the time. They're constantly talking about God. The Lord just put it on my heart, they say. And they come to Judgment Day, they come to our audition, and Jesus says, you don't know me at all. Wow. If such a thing is possible, you have to at least ask yourself, you must ask yourself, how do I know that I'm not self-deceived? How do I know that exactly what Jesus is talking about isn't going on in me right now? Fortunately, Jesus helps us with that. In verses 21 to 23, he warns us about self-deception in this really pointed way. But then in verses 24 to 28, he tells the parable of the two houses. And the parable of the two houses is both a great illustration of self-deception and it gives us good ways. It suggests to us a couple of ways that we can avoid self-deception. It's a great uh, parable of self-deception because a house is a great image to illustrate what self-deception is. You know, a house on the outside can look solid, right? You walk up to it, great curb appeal. You go inside, it's beautifully decorated, high-end finishes. You spend the whole afternoon in that house and you walk out and say, that is a great house, that is a beautiful house. But we all know that when it comes to the time when the storms come, all those things mean nothing. The true worth of the house is how strong are the floorboards? What's the building site like? How strong are the foundations? Is the roof solid? Those are the parts that matter when the storm comes. It's not what you see, it's what's down deep. So how do we tell if what's down deep in us is solid? I think Jesus suggests two things. First, Jesus suggests healthy self-suspicion. A person who follows our Lord when they realize the power of self-suspicion deception should practice regular self-suspicion about their own motives. At the end of his sermon, Jesus jabs a finger into our shoulder and says, you think you're okay, but are you really okay? Is your house solid? When's the last time you inspected it? When's the last time you really got down and looked at the foundation? When's the time, last time you climbed up into the attic and looked at the trusses to make sure that your roof was sound? Have you really checked? Have you done an inspection? Jesus wants us to do regular inspections of our house. And, although he doesn't say it here, the rest of Scripture makes clear that these regular self-inspections can't just be done by ourselves. We need to open ourselves to others to inspect our house. Think about real estate. You know, when you do a real estate transaction, when you buy and sell a house, there's always an inspection. 
the seller of the house can't be the inspector of the house, right? If you're a buyer of a house and you come to the, the buyer and, and say, well, I'd like to do an inspection, and the buyer says, oh, you know what? I did the inspection, you know, last week, and so it's all good. We, we're, we're good here. It's all fine. You would say, no, 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 no. I, I want an independent inspector. Because you, as a buyer, yourself, when you're examining yourself, you're self-interested. We need to have outside people, a community of people in our life, fellow Christians with whom we are close, that we're able to open ourselves up to and ask them to look at our house and we do the same for them. This, by the way, is why there's such a thing as interventions in this world, in the world of psychology, right? There are the really bad kinds of self-deceptions, addictions. We don't see them. We need people from the outside to come in and tell us about those things. And if you want one more proof of, of the absolute need for outside people looking at the shape of our house, I urge you, if you have a stomach for it, to read up on the latest revelations about Ravi Zacharias that came out this weekend. Read them. Because it's clear that no one was examining that house. And self-deception took hold at a level that the house falls with a great crash, which is detrimental to the entire evangelical faith, unfortunately. So self-suspicion, the willingness to have people look at our house, to open ourselves up to others in a helpful way. Second thing Jesus suggests, and this time this is a positive suggestion. He says, if you want to keep out the rod of self-deception, the key is practice. Everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the rock. Everyone who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like someone who builds on the sand. Practice. Acting on your faith. Doing it. Not just hearing sermons, not just sitting in church, not just memorizing things, actively practicing your faith. That's what sinks your foundations deep into the rock of Christ. But apparently, not just any kind of practice will work. Consider again those self-deceived people that Jesus mentioned at the beginning of the passage. They were people who did things. They acted, they practiced their faith. It, it mentions the practices specifically. They did miracles. They prophesied, right? Um, they, they cast out demons. The, the, those are active things. Why don't those things count as practices that sink your faith into the bedrock? Well, let's think about that. What do those kinds of actions have in common? They're all public displays of faith. They're all the kinds of faith displays that can get you kudos and congratulations and draw crowds. And that doesn't make them bad actions, it just means that they're much more susceptible to self-deception. Lord, I'm sure that I'm writing this sermon and working hard on it to glorify you and to feed these people. I can tell myself when in reality, maybe I'm doing it so that people will speak well of me. So if those public actions aren't the kind that really sink your, your faith down into the rock, what kind of actions is Jesus talking about? What kind of practices are the ones that guard your heart from self-deception? Well, Jesus has told that already. It's all the actions he talks about in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. 
If you look at the actions Jesus suggests to us in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, they're all things that are not designed to grab a crowd. They're not things that will lead to your glory. They're small, sacrificial, private actions that will root your heart in God. So things like praying in a private place instead of on a street corner where everyone can see you. Fasting in such a way that no one will notice. Giving humbly so that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Can you see how that's specifically designed to stop self-deception? Be so anonymous in your giving that you don't allow pride to go into your own heart. Don't even, let your, don't even tell yourself how great it was that you gave. Praying for your enemies. Guarding your heart from lust. Not lingering in your thoughts in lust. No one's going to see if you do that. No one's going to give you congratulations for that. Completely private action. All the things that Jesus mentions in his sermon, all those actions are things that don't draw a crowd. They're the kinds of private piety that you do when no one's looking that root your heart deeply in Jesus Christ, your Lord. Self-suspicion, practice. There's one more thing I need to say about self-deception. What Jesus says in verses 21 to 23 is so frightening and so bracing. I have to ask myself the question, is there hope for the self-deceived? Another way to frame this question, in his, in his parable, the guy who built his house on the sand and the house collapses, is that person totally out? Is he beyond the pale? Is he outside of the reach of God's love? Or is he somehow in the kingdom still? Can Jesus reach him? I don't have the final answer to that. But thinking about that question this week, I found my heart thinking about the apostle Peter. Peter was someone who loved big showy actions, right? He did miracles. He cast out demons. He did that while he was on his mission. And Peter loved to say, Lord, Lord. He said, Lord, Lord, all the time. And the more people who heard it, the better. Lord, Lord, everyone else may, may leave you or forsake you, but I will never forsake you, he said. He was sure that his house was founded on the rock. He was sure that he was Mr. Commitment. But what happened when the storm came? He realized he wasn't Mr. Commitment. He was Mr. Self-deceived. Peter denied Jesus. And do you remember what he said when he denied him? I never knew him. He says the same words that Jesus uses to condemn the man who builds his house in the sand. But Jesus doesn't need to say them to Peter because Peter says it about himself. And the rain came down and the floods came up and Peter's house fell with a great crash. But what does Jesus do? He dies for Peter. He pours out his blood for Peter. For the second time in Peter's life, Jesus reaches down in the midst of the flood and the storm and pulls Peter out of the water and sets his feet upon a rock. Jesus saves his foolish, self-deceived child. It was a severe mercy. In order to save Peter, he had to knock his house flat, but he saved him. 
So I don't know if God will, rec- will, will save, will, will reconcile all the self-deceived, but I do know this. He saved Peter, and his grace is strong enough to save me, and his grace is strong enough to save you, even if it means knocking our house down. Amen. Lord, you know um, the tangle of our hearts. I mean, you know that each and every one of us here wants to be your child. That's why we're here today, Father. We want to follow you. But you know how our heart goes in all kinds of different directions, and you know the self-deceptions that we keep locked deep down deep. So please, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, uproot those things. Knock down the walls that need to be knocked down and fill up those empty spaces with your construction and with your Holy Spirit. We pray these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.